thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. If you're new with us, my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm looking forward to this time together, a sense of anticipation for what God will do as we meet, not just with one another, but, but with him, as he comes and opens up his word by the power of his spirit to teach us more about his love for us and how our lives can be different, how our lives can be better if we will walk with him. We're in the second week of a a three-week series looking at those things that are the most important to our church. Last week, we thought about what it means to live deeply. Today, we're going to think about our mission statement, and I hope that by the time we're done, you'll see the connection between these two things. But first, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to be together in your presence that you are pleased to see your children gathered in this room, and that you are pleased to draw near to us and help us understand your love for us, your will for our lives. So come, be our teacher, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I asked you, what, what brought you to, to Knoxville? This week, I wonder, what brought you here to Cedar Springs? How, how did you end up in our church. Maybe, uh, maybe you grew up here. Can I get some hands? Some, some folks who grew up here? Yeah, there we go. We've got some, some kids, some young adults, some older folks, some older folks as well. Uh, maybe you're here because a friend invited you here. Um, that's very often how people end up at our church. Someone who comes here invites someone else and they, and they join them. And Christians, can this just be an encouragement to you? Sometimes we get nervous and awkward about inviting people to church, but if you invite them, they'll probably come. People are ready and eager to, to be a part of something bigger than, than themselves and like take, take that risk, step out and do that. Maybe you're here because a friend did that for you. Or maybe you're here because <clears throat> of the almighty power of the Google, right? You moved to town, you jumped online, you woke up one morning, you, you, you Googled the church, you found us and, and, now, and now you're here. Lots of people find us that way too. Of course, there are some more unusual things that bring people to our church. Uh, one of my favorites, I remember talking to one guy, uh, one young guy who told me, um, yeah, he was here because of a girl, you know. Isn't there always a girl, okay? If ever a man is doing something that seems unexplained, there's probably one answer, and it's probably a girl. And I remember him telling me, <laughs> this is such a great line, he said, I'm not really into Jesus, but I'm really into her. <laughs> I love the honesty. I also thought, all right, man, go for it. I really hope this works out. But I also told, you know, in Jesus, you might get more than you bargained for. He, He might be the great adventure of your life. And sometimes, of course, people show up our church in super random ways. I think of Chris Johnson, who's on staff with us working in our in our nursery. 
She moved here with her family from Wisconsin. They drove through the night and just happened to pull off the interstate at our exit. Well, uh, they parked, and it was three in the morning, and their three-year-old woke up, because that's what happens to a three-year-old when the car stops. And rubbing his blurry eyes, the three-year-old looked up and said, pointed at our church and said, Mom, that's where I'm going to go to school. Well, at the time, the mum, not knowing our church, just chuckled, thinking that's a church, not a school. They went on their way. In the weeks that followed, that family um, find, tried to find a place for their, for their three-year-old to, to go to school. But since it was October, mid-semester, everywhere was full, apart from one place that had one space. And sure enough, that three-year-old started up at our school. In the weeks that followed, the family came and visited our church, but they didn't think they'd stay because the church was so big. Uh, weren't used to a church this size, didn't know how it could be a, a home for them. But then another member encouraged them, no, stay here. Try, try it out for two years. I think you'll love it here. They did. 26 years later, Chris Johnson's on our staff. She looks after our little ones because her little ones told her this was her church. And that three-year-old was worshiping with his wife with us this morning. What about you? What brought, what brought you to Cedar Springs? I invite you to consider again that whatever the reason, whether you grew up here, whether a friend invited you, whether it was Google or, hey, are you that guy with a girl? Whatever the reason, that was just a circumstance that was used by God that you're here today, I'm here today, and you're here today because God brought you here. You know God is sovereign. This is mean he's, he's in charge of all things. And nothing in our lives is the result of accident, some kind of mistake, some kind of random fate. No, we, we are where he has us, and, and he has you here, and he has you here that you might live deeply with him in his love. Last week, we said that living deeply means that we live all of our lives with Jesus, that we take the, the, the beauty, we take the horror, we take everything in between, we take all that we are and have going on to him, that Jesus doesn't want us to be separate from him, he doesn't want us to be distant from him. Jesus isn't like that headmaster who just wants you to just go over there and behave that, that's not his heart. His heart toward us is love. And he wants us to live all of life with him. And our mission statement is going to take her deeper into how we do that. How do we go about living deeply? Well, here's today's sermon in a sentence. Get this and you can leave early, all right? We live deeply when we respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God loving one another, and serving the world. That's how we do this. We live deeply when first we respond to God's love, second we follow Jesus, and third we love God, love one another, and serve the world. Consider the three parts of this statement with me. First of all, we live deeply when we live our lives in response to God's love, in response to the love of God. Augustine, who was a Christian from like the fifth century, long time ago, said this, if you have understood God, then what you have understood is not God. 
Chew on that with me. It's a bit of a thinker, isn't it, right? If you have understood God, then what you have understood is not God. Because God is, is so much more than even our wildest imaginings. However big you think God is, he is bigger. However beautiful you think God is, he is more beautiful. However, however good you think God is, he is, he is better. However majestic or holy or pick your thing, he is more majestic and holier than, than we can possibly imagine. And so theologians make this, I think, helpful distinction between apprehending God and comprehending God. So we can, we can apprehend God, which means we can, we can lay hold of things about God that are true, and we can understand those things truly. It's not like God is so kind of just often shrouded in mystery and smoke and clouds that we can never get behind the curtain to know anything about him. No, he, is, he, he, he condescends to us that we might be able to lay hold of something and understand something about who he is. But as we can apprehend him, we can never fully comprehend him, which means we can never plumb the depths of who he is. We can never fully understand. We can never exhaust any of his qualities or his attributes. And I want to invite you to consider this morning that the thing about which that is the most true, the thing about God that you just cannot imagine, the thing about God that you don't understand, the thing about God that you could never fully comprehend, it's his love for you. His love for you. This summer, I listened to a book called How to Stay Married. It's by a guy called Harrison Scott Key. I met him at a conference we spoke at together a couple of years ago, and I came home and told people that I'd been speaking at a conference with Francis Scott Key, right? <laughs> Writer of the national anthem. And it's great, because I was just genuinely wrong, I said it with a complete straight face. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I was deadly serious, and they were deadly confused, you know? Risen from the dead, back alive to write some tunes, right? Here we go. Um, Harrison Scott Key um, doesn't write national anthems, but he does write memoirs, often with a, a humorous and deeply funny, funny tone. But this book is written after his wife's affair. And you know, I'm not sure I recommend it because it's a really hard listen. It's a really hard read. It is, it is raw. It's brutally honest about his feelings for not just his wife, but, but himself. It is painful and, and hard and <laughs> at the same time incongruously funny right? It's, it's, it's quite a thing. Well, interestingly, his wife writes the penultimate chapter. And I was listening to it on Audible, and, and the two of them read it. They don't bring in some voice actors. The two of them actually read the story. And you've listened to him for 36 chapters and heard about their story and the brokenness and the affair. And then suddenly her voice breaks in, and I just got a lump in my throat. Just deeply humanizing this broken story. And she writes this penultimate chapter, and she entitles it, A Whore in Church. And she reflects upon 
that phrase her grandmother used to use. Let's say sweating like a sinner in, in church. And she reflects how appropriate that was for her own journey with the church. Because as she'd been involved in this affair, she had gone from church to church and, and figured that, you know, if anyone found out, man, would they, would they judge her. Then once the affair was discovered, that sense of shame only deepened, maybe got, got, got worse as she had experiences with a couple of other churches that really didn't, didn't help. And then she has this beautiful gospel realization, this the dawning of, of, of grace. That sinners don't sweat in church because of Jesus. Judgmental Christians might make them do that, but Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. You know Jesus loves whores and Jesus loves sinners, and that's good news because that means he can love you and me. And he is pleased to welcome all of us into his family. And I share that as I'm trying to remind you that our lives being lived in response to the love of God, that when Jesus calls you to come to him, he calls you to come just as you are. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to improve. You don't have to get better in order to receive his love. All you have to do is come. And yet so often we forget this. Basil Pennington is a, a Catholic monk, and he wrote, he wrote this. He said, it is surprising how we fight against loves, and here he's using love as a name for God, so it's surprising how we fight against God's accepting what we do not accept in ourselves, our defective, wounded, malicious self. He's saying, you might feel like you ought to sweat in church. You might think you have reason to. You might think that you are, are broken and a mess. You might not accept things about yourself, but you know that Christ's not like you. Do not make the mistake of thinking that God feels about you the same way that you feel about you. Because God's heart toward you is love. And can I gently say, you must accept it. You must accept it. The gospel comes to us, and on one hand, it speaks some really hard truth. It says, you are, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've done things we ought not to have done. We've left undone those things we ought to have done. Thought, word, and deed, we can make a mess. And you know what, friends? You must accept it. You must push back against the cultural narrative that says everything is awesome all the time, and you should just be your best self. Because you know what? My best self is a bit of a mess turns out I'm not all that awesome. And, and you have to accept that about yourself. You have, to, you have to accept the hard truth of sin. Do you know what? You need to also accept the hard truth of grace. Because God doesn't stop at sin. He says, no, I see you in you, that sin, and yet my heart toward you is love. And I bid you to come just, just as you are. Why? Because I care for you. I love you. I made you. And I, and I want you to live deeply with him. I, my heart toward you is love. And friends, you must accept that. You cannot shake your fist in God's face and say, I'm not a sinner. And you cannot shake your fist in his face and say, God, you don't love me. <laughs> Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Receive the truth that, that he speaks, which isn't just a message of sin. It's also a message of grace. 
And then, and only then, we begin to live all of our lives in response to this love. So first of all, friends, we live deeply when we live all of life in response to the love of God. Let's get more practical, though. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's get to the second part of our our statement. Yes, we live deeply when we live in response to God's love, and the way that you respond to God's love, what you do to respond to God's love is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Now, in our world, we're used to this idea of, of followers on social media or cable news. Our world is full of influencers who want us to listen to their message, imitate their lives, and P.S. buy their products. Um, and, and yet, this idea of following Jesus, while it, following is kind of hip in our culture, um, we're actually talking about something gloriously old school. Why? Because we're not going to the influencers of social media. We're going all the way back to the Great Commission. The Great Commission, where Jesus commands us to do what? To make disciples. Disciples. What does that word mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, the word literally means follower. A disciple is, is a follower. And so in Jesus' day, you'd have rabbis who would travel around from town to town or city to city or place to place, and these rabbis would each have a group of of followers who would literally follow them around from town to town, from city to city, from place to place. And as they did so, they would listen to the rabbi's teaching, and they would seek to imitate the rabbi's way of life. Well, now Jesus the great rabbi, comes to us and says, that's what you're to do with me. Come to me and then follow me. Come to me and follow me around. Listen to my teaching and imitate my way of life. Listen and and imitate. And so the call on every Christian, on every Christian, me, you, all of us, is, is, is to follow Christ, to make King Jesus, not conventional wisdom, not our culture's definition of the good life, not some influencer on social media or cable news, but King Jesus, the lens through which you interpret, direct, and live your life. That he is not just the end of our lives, he is also the means of our lives that we take the beauty, the horror, everything in between, and we say, how do I live this moment differently because I am now with him? What would it look like to listen to his teaching and imitate his way of, of life? You know, what would Jesus do is not a terrible question. As long as you remember first, he would die for your sins. <laughs> then in response to that love, we do ask, what would he do in the details of our, of our lives? And it changes everything. It changes the kind of friend I am. Because now I want to be like the friend of sinners. It changes the kind of husband I'm trying to be. Because now I want to love this girl like Christ loves the church. It changes the kind of dad I want to be. Because I don't want to have the shallow, stupid, superficial priorities for my kids that sometimes my heart tempts me to have. But I want to pour into them that they might love and know Christ. It changes the kind of pastor I am. It changes how I deal with a a difficult colleague 
it changes how we think about changing diapers. It changes how we think about what we do with our time and what we do with our money. It changes what we think about the priorities of, of our lives. Following Jesus changes everything, and that's the call of Christ, that we would come and follow him, listen to his teaching, imitate his life, and in that process, become like Christ. Don't you love that God's vision for your life you know, is so much better than all the things related to the American dream? Because you can get all of those things, and they satisfy you for a little while, and in return, you'll lose your soul. And so don't live a life, Jesus says, that's, you know, small. Don't live a life that's superficial. Don't live a life where you accumulate a bunch of stuff that's going to turn to dust. Instead, live a big life where you follow me. And even now, become more like the person you're going to be in all eternity. That we're practicing for heaven by being like Christ now. How do we respond to God's love? We come to Jesus, and then we follow him. I suppose it's fair to ask again, though, what does that look like? <laughs> what, what does following Jesus look like? And I suppose that takes us to the third and, and final part of our statement, which is this. Yes, we live deeply when we respond to God's love, gospel start. We do that by following Jesus. And following Jesus looks like this, loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. Loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. This is, what a, this is what a disciple does. This gives you a picture of a disciple's life. And everything we do as a church falls into one of these three categories. Loving God in worship, loving one another in fellowship, or serving the world in mission. And you know, we didn't make these categories up. In fact, we think we got them from the early church. Acts 2 gives us a picture of, of their life. We read this description of what the early church looked like a moment ago in our service. But consider with me how these three things, loving God in worship, loving God in fellowship, serving the world in mission, are interconnected and describe their life. So first, see how they worshiped. What did they do? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship, the breaking of bread, in that, this context, that's referring to, to communion, and to prayers, and look what happened. Awe came upon every soul. Later on in the passage, that yellow section, they praised God and had favor with all the people. What did the early church do? They got together, they read the Bible, they prayed, they had the table, they listened to Christ's teaching, and awe came upon their souls. And do you know how much I want that to happen in our church? <laughs> that when we get together, awe comes upon the soul. Because we ourselves have met with have met with God. Not only did they worship together, though, look, they, they fellowshiped together. Let's look at the green. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Don't you, use, don't you love the use of all? All the believers had all things in common. So, like, don't, don't, do not go off on some communist socialist rant with this, okay? This wasn't forced. This wasn't mandated. This wasn't government. This was the church life where all the people had such love for one another that they shared all things together. <laughs> a voluntary, free generosity because, because, they were, because they were one. And so we read, day by day, they attended the temple together. They went to church together. 
and they broke bread in their homes. Now, not referring to the sacraments, but referring to sharing meals together, which they received with glad and generous hearts. Do you see how involved they were in each other's lives? If you have a need, I have a need. That's how I feel about it, so I'm going to meet it. When I, when I eat, you eat, we eat together. We'll go to church, we'll be at home, we're interconnected. We're known, we're loved. And of course, not just worship, not just fellowship, but see how they also serve the world in mission. It starts with the apostles. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, but then it continues to, to them all. They were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A radically generous church that served the community, that gave of its own resources. A generous church, not a wealthy church, <laughs> and yet a church that gave of its own resources to meet the needs of mercy and justice that were in its community. And then we read that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So it wasn't just a ministry of, of deed, it's also a ministry of word, where people are having their physical needs met and they're having their eternal needs met, and the result of it all is that the church is growing and the church is flourishing, and this is what the early church looked like, a community of worship, a community of fellowship, a community of mission, and we say, if that's good enough for the early church, that's good enough for us. And so everything we do as a church falls into one of those three categories. You might get on our website and feel like we do 57 things. I promise you we only do three things. We worship together, like we're doing just now. Not just now, but also privately in our homes. We read our Bibles. We pray. We listen to him. We speak to him. We bring him into the details of our day-to-day -day lives. Along with that, though, we try to love one another in fellowship. Yes, there are a bunch of programs, but they're all just trying to do that for our kids, for our students, for our young adults, for our men, for our women. Sunday school classes, community groups, and all the rest are all designed just to provide this thing called fellowship. Community life, where you know people, they know you. You love them, they love you. You know what's going on in each other's lives. You knit your lives together. You help figure out what does it mean to imitate Jesus? What does it mean to live deeply in this moment? Community, community life. And then what else do we do as a church? Well, we serve the world in mission. Sometimes we serve them here in our own church, volunteering to look after our kids. Sometimes we do it in our community, caring for the, the, the homeless and, and the poor and, 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 and the least of these caring for those with special needs. Sometimes we do it across the world because God's vision is global. And, and he's making a difference, not just here for us in our little corner of the world, but across the entire world. And he invites us to participate in that. And so we send people and we pray and we, we, we go and we're about the work that God has given us to do. And we live deeply when we do all three of these things. When we're like the early church, loving God in worship, loving one another in fellowship, serving the world in mission. So, if that's the case, let me close with two pastoral encouragements. First is this. I just, I invite, and more than that, I encourage you, and more than that, I plead with you to get connected to our church. 
If you come to our church, get connected to our church. If you don't come to our church normally, get connected to the church that you're at. If you only listen online, find a local church to get connected to. But if you're here in this community, get connected to to our church. Our goal is for all of our people to be involved in all three of these areas. All of our people to be involved in all three of these areas because that's what the early church, that's what the Bible would call us to do. That's the kind of life that, that, we, would be, that we would be called to live. And, and so our, our encouragement is, is to come and do that. Come, come and do that. And to do that, this, does, this is why this feels like a pastoral encouragement from my heart, to do that before the trouble comes. I want you to have a spiritual resilience that is gonna take you through whatever life throws at you. And friends, you know, and I know, that life can be a horror. And if you've been skipping along the surface of this Christian life, if you've just sort of been playing around the edges, you're not gonna be ready when the trouble comes. You need this kind of Christian maturity. You need this kind of health deep within your heart so that when the trouble comes, you already have strength. And so we, we plead with you to come, to come and get involved. Maybe you've been in worship, but you haven't been in fellowship yet. That's a great next step. Maybe you have been in worship and fellowship, but you haven't started to serve anywhere yet. Maybe that's, that's a great next step for you. And today is a great day to take those next steps because today is what we're calling Connections Sunday. We've had an event running all morning, but it's continuing for this service in the, in the Welcome Center after, after this service. A place for you to go and meet with people who will greet you personally and tell you more about the ministries that are here at our church so that you can get connected with somewhere you'll actually like. You know that's important? Like, you know... The Christian life isn't like, the Christian life, do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do. Like, (laughs) who wants that? No, find a fellowship, find a community that you enjoy, that you, you like each other, you laugh together, you get a kick out of each other, you do stuff together that you like, and find a place to serve that you're actually passionate about. Something that makes your heart stand up and say, I want to do something about that. Yes, like, Go and find these places where you can get connected to our church. We have a team of people ready to greet you and help you do just that. Second, final pastoral encouragement, and it's this. I've been talking about how to get connected to our church and talking about the nuts and bolts, the things that we do need to do in order to respond to the love of God. But I also know, see if you're struggling today. You're hurting today. This church is a refuge for you. And maybe all you need to do is come to Jesus and rest. If you're in a season where what you need to do is arrive late, leave early, speak to nobody in between, that's fine. If you're in a season where you're struggling, then you don't have to volunteer in the nursery and you don't have to join a community group and hear the pastor say it, you don't even need to tithe. It may be that in this season, our church is the place where you can just come down 
and bleed a while. That's a line from a Thomas Moore poem that I love. I am hurt, but I am not slain. I'll lay me down to bleed a while, then I'll rise to fight again. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. But dear ones, if you're in the first half of all these phrases, hurt, bleeding, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, then then maybe what you need is just to come and find this to be a place of rest. I've had seasons like that. A friend of mine is in a season like that just now. His, his fiance just died of liver cancer. She was 29 years old. And if you're in that kind of season, then let this church be the place where you just come warm yourself by the fire of the gospel. You feel the warmth and the light of his love. In time, you'll rise and fight again, but maybe just now you need to heal and find life. I was in New York City this week for Tim Keller's memorial service, which took place at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan. Well, right across the street, directly across the street from St. Patrick's is the Rockefeller Center. And right outside of the Rockefeller Center is what? A statue of Atlas, struggling and straining to hold the weight of the entire world on his shoulders. We'll walk into St. Patrick's, and here's what you find. A statue of Jesus holding the whole world in one cross-guard hand. Come to him and rest. And in time, you can join the rest as together we seek to live deeply by responding to God's love, by following Jesus, by loving God in worship, loving one another in fellowship, and together serving the world. Amen. Amen. Father, we do thank you um, for giving us a picture of what life was like in the early church. And surely, Lord, it was a, a community of, of love, a community that, that loved you for all that you have done for us, this gospel grace that we sometimes find hard to accept, a community that loved one another, that really cared about each other's lives, that, that, that got connected and, 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 and concerned and, and enjoyed each other all at the same time, a community, Lord, that also loved the world, and was prepared to sacrifice to, to serve those, those in need. Lord, um, we want to be a gloriously old school church. We're not concerned about being hip or innovative in any way, but we do want to live the beautiful life you offer to us. So help us to live it beautifully, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.